Social prescription. What is it? Go take a hike. Literally. I'm here today with Dr. Kate Mulligan, who's from the Center of Institute for Social Prescription. We're going to have an awesome conversation. CISP, C-I-S-P. We're going to have an awesome conversation today. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Lee. All right, Kate, tell me, tell me about social pres prescription. What is it? it? It can be literally going and taking a hike. Uh, it really just means using your healthcare visit as an opportunity to help you reconnect with non-medical, non-clinical things that we know are good for our health. So it can be going for a hike, spending time in nature, getting some exercise, uh, it could be connecting with the arts. It could be something much more material, like access to housing uh, or food. Okay. Uh, or it could be spending more time with other people. Uh, it's a range of different things. And we know that our health is determined much more by these social factors than by any of our access to healthcare or clinical services. So we need our healthcare systems to really help us address those if we really want to make a difference for our own health individually and at the population level. That's awesome. And I think, you know, social prescription feels like it's something that's very new. Yeah. And so people might not necessarily be aware of it, but I do see it growing. Mm -hmm. And I see that there's a lot more globally, like a movement and an awareness yeah. that it's not like, oh, I'm not feeling good or I'm feeling like kind of under the weather. I don't really want to see people. And it's not about just prescribing yeah. medication to people. So as an associate professor at the University of Toronto, and the director of the Center for Institute of Social Prescription, um, you're leading the trend. Like you, like I really believe that you are setting the stage here in Toronto, if not Canada, about this. So that's our mandate at the Canadian Institute for Social Prescribing. We're trying to grow this practice all across the country. And so it is new um, and it's also not at the same time. So human beings have been taking care of one another uh, for millennia. That's what we do. We are social creatures. We want to spend time together. We know taking care of each other through, you know, having tea together is something that's really good for us and is healthy. Uh, what's new about it is the idea that we can track and measure the impacts of those, all those good things on our health and on our use of health services. So we don't need to be overburdening the healthcare system when we are lonely uh, or have other needs that, you know, aren't really well taken care of by clinical medicine. So the new part is helping us reconnect and then tracking the impact so we can start to see for the first time, ah, this is what it means uh, to our health outcomes, our health experiences, and our use of health services when we reconnect to our communities. So how does this work? Like social prescription, like social prescribing, are you training doctors about this? Are you educating yeah. regular people about it? Like... Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. So definitely um, getting doctors and nurses and other health professionals on board is a big part of it. But there are also lots of other people who have expertise in this, community health workers, social workers, um, people who just belong in community, right? Members of faith organizations, community organizations and clubs, they know how important this stuff is. So what we're trying to do through the Institute is 
create more opportunities to showcase the good work that people are doing and better connected. And so we're doing it in a systematic way, not just one thing here or one thing in that neighborhood or that city, but everywhere across Canada. So we're training um, people to do the work. And it looks something like this. Uh, you might go to your doctor or maybe even going to your doctor a few times. Um, okay. And they really see that there's not much more that they can do to help you. Uh, for example, maybe you have recently lost um, a spouse and you're, you're grieving. Um, there might be a limit to what they can do for you biomedically. But maybe they can refer you to somebody else who can help. Um, so you'd be referred to what might be called a link worker or a community connector or a well-being coordinator. And that's somebody who's from your own community who takes the time to listen to you. Uh, time that doctors and nurses often don't have in our overstretched health system. And they help you shift the focus away from what's the matter with me to what matters to me. And in that conversation, you decide together what to do next. And then that person can help you take those first steps. Because we all know when we're not feeling well, uh, when we're lonely or disconnected, or we've been marginalized or excluded, it's really hard to take those first steps. So maybe the link worker will go along with me to my first um, you know, swim lesson. Uh, really? Or they'll um, introduce me to somebody uh, who can be a friend when I go to my first art class. Um, and so, and then they'll check in on me. They'll follow up on my progress, report that back to the doctor mm -hmm. uh, and to the person so that we can get a sense of how well it's working. And that learning approach is something that is one of the, the most important innovations that we can really map, track and measure and learn about what this is doing for us. Because uh, we know intuitively that it's good for us, but we need to show the evidence. That's so, I mean, I'm just processing that. Like, it's like, I think COVID has really impacted people, right? Yeah. Um, the social isolation. I think a lot of people are relearning how to be, like relearning how to come out, relearning how to engage. What are common courtesies, right? Like I'm seeing this. Like, there was a study <laughs> that just came out that said, hey, um, we just learned that or from our, through our study, we learned that children are not as empathetic and don't have the social skills, yeah. um, you know, as a result, or they don't have as much resilience as a result of COVID and being at home. Yeah. And, you know, educators, you know, uh, were like, you didn't need to have a study to, to <laughs> determine that. Like yeah. we knew that. That's right. Right. And, and so actually one of the things that you said with relation to social prescription, um, prescribing is having a linked community worker. Like, yeah. well, how do you get that job? Like, yeah. it's like, I'm like, it's oh, an you awesome have a friend? job, isn't it? Like, how, like, I didn't even know that this, these are one of those jobs yeah. that I didn't know existed. Well, I think it's really important to note that it's not a regulated health profession. So yeah. it's not like you have to go to school and get a credential. Yeah. It's more important that you can really listen and support somebody and that you're from the community. Um, so that means that you can build a trusted relationship with that person, yeah. but also with the community organizations and activities and resources that are available in your community. Um, because you need to know what's out there. What are all the things that your community has to offer? Um, and then make that connection. And having something to offer is really at the heart of social prescribing for, for each participant. So it's really focused on something that we call self-determination. Okay for individual people and for communities. And there are four domains of self-determination um, that, that really matter. And that comes from psychology research and also political science research. One is autonomy. And that means like our ability to make a decision for ourselves. So you're in charge of your own care. You make that prescription for yourself. You pick something that matters to you that you wanna do. Uh, 
One of them is competence or just being reminded that like I can do stuff. I can have an impact on my life. I can take more control over health and my own health and the conditions for my health. And that's the the basics of health promotion, having a bit more control. Um, Another one is, is, is belonging. You know, really having that sense of relatedness in your community that you know you belong, you feel welcome, but you also feel prioritized, like policies and programs and procedures notice you, yeah. uh, notice the, the the group that you belong to, right? That 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 you're that you're really made, you're seen and and felt yeah. important. And then the last one is is beneficence, which is just a really fancy way of saying you can give back. Okay. And that's where we see the biggest improvements in people's health is when they go from thinking of themselves as somebody with something wrong to somebody with something strong. And they've got, you know, all of a sudden you can be a volunteer and give back in your community or even just welcome another person in with a smile and a cup of tea. When you give back to other people, you get something that we call the giver's glow and it just feels awesome. And if you can tap back into that and at the community scale, all these organizations and human beings that have something to give, if we can knit those together better and really build our idea of health around what it is we have to give, um, then we're really getting somewhere. I love it. Okay. I love every, I don't know, like, you know, instead of something, sorry, like instead of what's wrong with me, um, what's around me, what was, there are two, there are two that I really love. One is moving away from what's the matter with me to what matters to me. Yeah. The other one is moving away from what's wrong and focusing on what's strong. Yeah. And that works at the community level too, right? We don't want to just keep looking at people who face barriers to good health and barriers to health equity, like fairness in health, and say that it's because there's something wrong with them. It isn't, right? There are structural factors that make things different. If we focus on what's strong with them and start there, there is magic in that. And we really see that transformative spark when we look at how social prescribing has happened. And so it's been tried out all across Canada. And there are these fantastic results for people who start to feel better. The services are better integrated. And the burnt out healthcare providers who have been under such strain, they rediscover their sense of purpose and belonging too. And they just come alive again with their sense of meaning and the reason they went into health in the first place. Uh, So I really see this as a source of like renewed energy for people um, and just bringing some of that meaning back into what they're trying to do. I mean, everything that you're saying, I know you as a human being and know that you affect such positive change everywhere that you go. And when you say that, I'm like, it seems so common sense, right? Like it's a part, of, it's, it's I know it's a part sense. of who you are, but it's actually not necessarily common sense to most people, yeah. right? Like, I, I, so I think that, that, you know, yes, wouldn't the world be a better place if you're seen? Wouldn't the world be a better place if that, you know, they don't say, hey, what's wrong with you, but what's strong about you? Yeah. And we, we think, you know, even young kids, right? Like, oh, I don't want to play with you or like to switching that dynamic that is sometimes I don't think it's a good part of human nature, but yeah. it's a default part or learn it. And so what you're talking about as we come back to it being common sense, mm-hmm. how do we make it more common, right? Because common sense is common to whom? Yeah. Yeah. I think there is something deep down that does feel very common to all of us. Yeah. And it's rooted in our common humanity and, you know, shared life on this planet. Yeah. But there are a lot of barriers that we 
that get put in front of us and that we reinforce as we get socialized into yeah. workplaces in particular. Yeah. So people sort of feel they have to put up barriers when they're um, engaging in medicine, for example, um, and that we have lots of bureaucracy that's gotten in the way. Even to become a volunteer yeah. in a healthcare organization, there might be layers and layers of paperwork and liability concerns and all that stuff. We want to deformalize some of that and remind us that, you know what, it's okay to be yourself that's at work. I mean, it feels so like just as your tongue went, like, yeah, right? it totally makes sense. Everything clicks, like it makes yeah. sense. But I but what you said, like how it has become such a bureaucratic bureaucratic yeah. process, how it's become layers and layers of, you know, looking at what's wrong, like, oh, we gotta have liability. Oh, let's make sure we check off this box. Yeah. You have all these like tests or you know, that you have, you know, vulnerability sector, like yeah. police, you know, checks and stuff. Yeah. But just kind of wait a minute all these barriers that we've been putting up, let's strip them down. Yeah. And believe it or not, one of the things that can help us rehumanize is technology. So okay, talk to me about we, this. <laughs> the, if we start giving feedback to people about what's happening, we can change their practices without having to first change their hearts and minds. So we don't have to convince people. Yeah to do this and, 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 and sort of sell it to them as an idea they should do. We can give people the tool to do social prescribing. Here's how you refer somebody who has social needs that you can't take care of in your clinical practice, for okay. example. Then through technology, you start getting feedback about how it's impacting, how, you know, what's happened to their health. What do they say about how it's affected their health? Then you look at how many drop, how many fewer visits they have. All of a sudden, they're not coming to see you anymore because they're going to more appropriate and more affordable upstream services and supports. Then you're starting to see, ah, I can see how this benefits me. I can see how this makes my daily practice easier. I have fewer forms to fill out and I can sleep at night knowing this person is taken care of. Um, and so that's that feedback that can come through technology and more seamless referrals that can ease the burden for people. And then once once people experience social prescribing, they like it and they want more of it and they want to keep improving and learning. So that feedback is really, really core. That's so cool. I mean, it's it's so it's so positive. It's so doable. Yeah, it's doable. Like it's not, hey, like you have to do A, B, C, and D to, you know, overcome this. It's yeah. like, hey, why don't you go out for a walk? I'll I'll connect you with someone. Are you afraid of going swimming? Yeah. I'll help you sign up. Mm -hmm. Right? There's all these little mm -hmm you know, roadblocks that we either put in ourselves yep. and having someone to support you in that just makes it a little bit easier. Absolutely. Yep. And it's also making sure that the right kinds of services are available at the other end. So the more information we get about how this is working, the more we can say, you know what, these community services, here's why they need more stable funding. Yeah. Here's why we need to invest more there than we do in acute care at the hospital, right? Like we've over-invested in high-tech healthcare and under-invested in the stuff that moves mountains. Uh, so if we can help to shift the budgets toward this community-based stuff that we know really works, we can make a difference. And so we're starting to see that happen. So in the UK, they've been doing social prescribing for a number of years, um, and they're starting to see some of that upstream impact. And they've got link workers in every primary care network all across the country. In the US, they have something called accountable care, where you know healthcare teams don't get paid unless they see better patient outcomes. And the only way to get better, better patient outcomes is to act on the social determinants of health, because that's where the big impact is. So we want to do the same thing. We want to move population health. We've got to act on these factors. Uh, and social prescribing helps us not only to do that, but to demonstrate the impact. I love what you were just saying, because I had a conversation with a very smart person that I know about healthcare and how 
the commentary about in Canada that, okay, you get doctors get paid for all their visits. But what you had just mentioned from this American model of you look at how you reduce the number of visits and you're actually improving people's health. It's not about keeping people coming in. It's about keeping people like not coming in. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things about the U.S. system we don't want to adopt. Yeah, yeah. 100%. No, 100%. Thank you for, yes, absolutely. Uh, just to be clear. Just saying, yeah. Um, and, and similarly, the National Health Service in the U.K. is um, struggling, right? All these health systems are struggling. All the industrialized country health systems are struggling. And it's because we've overinvested in acute care. We're in a permanent crisis mode. And we're not able to shift the burden, shift the work to the place where there is tons of expertise, Huge capacity, lots of amazing relationships and trust and a lot of those good things, but hardly any funding, not well connected to the bigger health systems, uh, not powerful in that sense of having political power or economic power. We need to move the money there. That's where the big impact is going to be. And it makes me really excited to have social prescribing as a tool that gets us to thinking about community health. Uh, yeah. If we start with community, we can make a huge impact. Uh, we just need to give some of the mainstream systems some tools that give them the feedback to show them why it matters to them. I love it. I mean, just like, I mean, at the heart of, I think, what you and I are invested in is community, right? And yes. how do you build up community? And so if you indulge me for a moment from a policy perspective of how we can encourage the support of this, because yeah. as you mentioned, we've over in industrialized countries, we've over-invested in acute care. How do do you get the metrics? How do you get the results to to build a movement that says this benefits? What are, you know what I mean? Whether it's Mm -hmm. the social determinants, the ripple effect, the reduction of acute, because it's not a direct line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's complex. So um, I'm happy to say that the more we show social prescribing in action, the more interest there is by governments and funders and health systems. So we have, for example, our institute is funded by the Public Health Agency of Canada. They want to know what do community organizations think about how this could work across Canada. And we're working with uh, many organizations right across the country to come up with something that leads with health equity, community leadership, and collaboration over competition. Because we know in this community sector, people have to fight over scarce resources. So bringing people together to find common ground on the community side um, uh, has been our work for the last year or so. But we have now investment in um, social prescribing for mental health at the federal level. We have uh, investment by several provinces in social prescribing. So quite a few are looking at food prescribing models for people who face food insecurity. Okay, so let's, I just want to break that down a little bit. Yeah. When you say that there's support from a federal level Mm -hmm. and support from different governments, how does that support play out in the real world? So for the federal uh, mental health support, they give money to community health centers to, um, are we good? Yeah, yeah, it's me. I'm not talking close enough to the mic. Okay. <laughs> okay. So they give money to community health centers to um, to do social prescribing, to hire link workers, to do some data tracking, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure there are the right kinds of programs uh, that are culturally safe, anti-racist and anti-oppressive and all that stuff uh, for people who are facing health inequities. 
uh, in BC, the uh, Ministry of Health funds the United Way and works together with the United Way to have community connectors in local small community organizations to work with older adults to help them with transition from hospital back to home so they can age at home in the community but have access to all those community supports and services that they need. Everything from, you know, snow shoveling to friendly calls. Yeah. So it, the investment looks like a small uh, number of staff people and the infrastructure around them for tracking and support and community services to make sure that it all happens. We tend to have most of what we need in place. We just need to do it in a formal and systematic way yeah. uh, to kind of up our game. And to and that's what social prescribing can help us do. It can take all the really good practices that we know are happening all across the country by amazing people and make them something we can all share in, not just little local proprietary projects, but something for all of us. Oh, that's like, that's awesome. Like, it's just, it. for me, the more you talk, I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. That totally yeah. makes sense that you have connectors and the ripple effect. And the more, I almost want to be like, let's spread the good word. How do we spread well, the good you know, word? And part of it is, is also demand. So, you know, every time I talk about social prescribing, I will get an email or a phone call from somebody who says, I want this for my mom. Yes. I want this for my neighbor. You know, I need this for myself. And so partly it is going, you know, when you're in contact with your healthcare provider to ask for it, to say like, you know, do you have something in place that can help us do this? And then um, we have here in Ontario, the incoming president-elect of the Ontario Medical Association, Dominic Novak, is a huge champion of social prescribing. So I imagine we'll see it on the clinical agenda in the next year or two. Uh, and saying, you know, I've been having great conversations with organizations all across the country and people agree. It makes sense. It helps with some of the big systems challenges that we're facing and it just feels good like it's nice to be part of it you feel a sense of purpose and belonging and you want to feel that again and so we'll, we'll do, we're we're going to keep moving forward with it so the connectors right mm -hmm. like the people who are in your local community who might just be like do-gooders who are volunteers and they just enjoy yes yeah. you see when you go into the hospital, you have lots of people who are retired who are the volunteers. Like, how can yeah. I help you? And yeah. they're so passionate about it. And I love it. Um, how can people get involved with, you know, like yeah. when you say people are writing to you, like, I would love this for my mom. I would yeah. like the snow shoveling, like all the, like the checking in. Yeah. Um, how, how, if someone's interested in it, like this is actually building networks. Yeah. How does someone say, hey, I've actually got a few hours a week or something. Yeah. Like how does someone get involved? Yeah. So the challenge is that right now is still a bit of a patchwork all yeah, across okay. cities, all across provinces, all across the country and around the world. Uh, so what we're trying to do is knit that together in a stronger way. Uh, so if you want to do it locally, the best thing to do is to reach out to one of your local community organizations. So, okay. for example, we have something here uh, across the country called 211. That's a hotline you can call for community services. So you can call 211 and ask, you know, what's available in my community that I can connect my mom to. Um, but also you can ask, like, where can I become a volunteer? How can I get involved with this? So, so that's one way. Um, another way is to ask in your healthcare setting. If you're lucky enough to have access to a primary care provider, like a nurse practitioner or a doctor, you can ask them. Um, and then beyond that, I think, you know, we're trying to help provide more training and learning opportunities for people to get involved. So over the next year at CISP, the Canadian Institute for Social Prescribing, we'll be coming out with more training materials for volunteers, but also workplace training and professional development uh, so that more people can do this. Right now, there's a World Health Organization training people can go online and take to become a, a link worker. So that's already available and free. 
it's self-guided. You can do it in your own time. So stuff is starting to become available, but we, again, we need to systematize that. Sure. I actually just finished doing the first Canadian graduate school course on social prescribing okay. uh, just last week. So uh, taking, you know, higher level students who are going to go on to become health promoters and urban planners, yeah. uh, doctors and nurses and social workers. We went out into the community and saw how this happens. We went to a community health center. We went to a hospital. We went to the art gallery. We went to a park. We went to different places to see how this looks in practice. And um, I put a lot of my faith in those young people who are really excited and see this and won't find it hard to incorporate it into their practice because they just see that it makes sense. That's awesome. Like I just, it, it's, it's so fresh. Like it feels like, yeah, this, why weren't we doing this sooner? Yeah. Right. And I think the system, systematization is very important. Um, with regards to health and well-being, I see it as so much plus, 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 plus. Yeah. Um, and govern, and I mean, basically, when we talked about like government supporting it, it sounds like things are in that upward, like you know, like hey, yeah. we're, we're supporting it, and they'll get results from it, and then that'll just build yeah. the data to support it, and then more investment will come. That's the idea. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. And you know, I think before COVID happened, it was uh, a little bit of a, a tougher sell. Right now, uh, post COVID, I think people saw first of all what health inequity really looks like, um, and could see the different impacts on different communities. So many health and social services people committed to doing health equity in a, in a more serious way. Um, but the other one is everyone experienced what it felt like to be disconnected from community. Yeah, and. So it's not a tough sell anymore to explain that belonging is a determinant of health. People understand that experientially now. And uh, I mean, we just had a big report this week come out from the U.S. Surgeon General all about loneliness and social cohesion and social connection as something that is vital to our survival and to our health. You know, we don't we need to combat polarization. We need to combat fragmentation. There's some big societal reasons why we need to stitch together healthier and more resilient communities. So that all makes it easier, I think, that even though those are all challenges, yeah. uh, they make it easier for people to see why it's important. Uh, and then, as I said, once people try it out and get the feedback, they can see experientially how it works and that it works. And then we can just keep learning and improving based on the data that we get and the experiences that we have and the stories we tell. I love it. I think it's, it's so great. Like, I mean, you are like leading this, you're, you know, obviously, um, you know, inspiring so many people to want to learn more and hopefully it's just like a, a domino effect. Yeah. 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 Keeping up with demand is one of my big challenges right now. There's a lot of interest. Um, and so we're starting to get, you know, money for research into this for the first time. Okay. Uh, money for building these um, training and evaluation tools. Um, and lots of people just ready to take it on and figure it out in their local context, because it is going to look different in every community and for every person. So really, we're part of in that, partly in the business of just saying to people like, you have what you need to do this. Like within yourself already. You, yeah, you have a lot of what you need. There's more resources would be nice, but there's a lot we can do now. Yeah. Um, and we're here to support you. And again, it's just a little bit of like being that link worker, being that person who says like, you got this and I've got your back. Uh, and then people realize that it works and it makes sense for them. Okay, so let's do a quick recap here. Yeah. For people who are interested in volunteering or becoming a link worker and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. how do they do that? Go to our website, socialprescribing.ca. 
we have a list of resources that can get you started. Uh, in your local community, call up 211, call up your city government or call up a local community organization, you know, the Red Cross, the YMCA, yeah. the United Way. They'll get you started with um, either volunteering or receiving uh, social prescribing services. Um, or maybe you'll be the one who puts it on their radar and then they go and figure it out and, and get back to you later. So, you know, it's a journey where it's not universally available, but that's yeah. our goal. Someday I, it will be. No, I, and that's why I'm so excited about it. And I can tell you're super excited yeah. about it because it is one of those things where it's like, oh, I might need it or I'd love to be a part of the solution. Yeah. And what you had said earlier about it being patchwork is something where about it being patchwork where people might not know about it or the, the organizations mm -hmm. may not necessarily know about it. So knowing how to say, hey, go to mm -hmm. socialprescribing.ca, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and that's something that would be really important. And I think it's inspiring. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to share? I can tell you a couple of stories. Tell me, tell me. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you. So one of my favorite stories um, is about uh, a guy who was living in a small town north of Ottawa. And this is a place where people go when they retire. And what tends to happen is that within a few years, one spouse dies. Uh, and then the other person is in sort of a new place where they don't have uh, as many supports and services as they would have had in their old community. And uh, it's rural, so there's not, maybe it's difficult to get around, it's difficult to know what's going on. So this guy, uh, after losing his spouse, uh, went to his doctor and, uh, you know, got on medication for anxiety and depression, yeah. but still was struggling. Uh, and so he was connected through social prescribing and with his link worker uh, determined that all he needed was like a $15 fishing rod and a fishing buddy. He got out fishing with a friend and, you know, within a matter of months was, was off his medication and feeling like he belonged in community again and feeling really well. That's the power of what social prescribing can do. Something so simple, a fishing rod and a fishing buddy. Um, and of course, not everybody will go off medication. That's not appropriate yeah. for everybody. And it's not meant to be a replacement for the clinical care that you need, but it really can be impactful for people's health. And it really can be simple. Um, the other example I have is uh, Dr. Karen Kosky. She's a physician in Whistler, BC. When the pandemic happened, there were so many young people in Whistler who found themselves out of work yeah. um, and living in situations where they had like 15 or 20 people crowded into a house, right? And imagine staying at home with all those pressures and, you know, different people maybe coming down with COVID and so on. She uh, and her medical practice were, were very anxious and stressed about how to meet the needs of the community and what to do during covid they decided to take up social prescribing um, and they were able to help provide those supports and services for all those young people um, who were sort of struggling and trapped at home. Uh, and they found that their workplace morale went way up and they started to feel a sense of purpose and meaning in their work again because they were part of something that mattered and they were making sure that everybody in their community was taken care of. Those moments are the ones that keep me going uh, when the work gets hard or gets busy. I think, you know, this is really transformative for people. It keeps people going in their lives and helps them feel like they're making a difference uh, for themselves and for other people. So those are the ones that I that I just really turn to and I, I love and I I really want to be able to tell more stories like that. So I hope it keeps growing.
I love it. I I think I I think it's so great. And um, you know, you had a favorite quote, right? Yeah. Which is social prescribing helps us move from what's the matter with us to what matters to us. Yeah. And I I really love the the line that you said. Like, it's not about what's wrong with me; it's about what's strong with me. Mm-hmm. And it's just that lens, and uh, just that's a shift. Like, it's, it's a, a total one eighty shift. Yeah. That is a shift towards the positive. A shift towards the self mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, I've got something to offer. Mm-hmm. And then what you're saying about, well, it feels good. Like the ripple effects of helping someone yeah. and it's kind of contagious in a good way. Yeah. Um, that I just, I feel it. I, I totally believe you. I totally think it's super transformative. And when we first started talking about it, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so like common sense. It's like not out of reach and it's not mm-hmm. out of scope that mm-hmm. you actually have the skills within you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we have the skills within us. Like it does take a village. We don't have every single thing that we need individually, but we have a lot. We all have something to give and we all need something. So we do need to be doing it t- together. And we know as parents that like it takes a village yeah. to raise a child, for example. But there are lots of structures that get in our way of our ability to do that. And it can feel really lonely raising kids, especially when they're young, uh, because there are all these barriers in our in our way that keep us alone. So Social prescribing helps us remember that it takes a village, find that village, and then start busting down some of those barriers. Yeah. I love it. Kate, thank you so much. Thanks for having tea with me. (laughs) Do you like your tea? (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. Thanks. Thank you.